So 4th of July, a lot of fun, Independence Day. A couple years ago when I was at my wife's parents' house, we, we really got the effect of the battlefield. You know, that's what the fireworks are about, about when we celebrated winning our independence and uh, as a nation. And uh, so the, the bombs bursting in air, well, one of those things is like a cannon that shoots those little balls up in the air and they explodes for the pretty fireworks, got tipped over, aimed right at me. And one of them skipped across the yard. I just saw the trail of the sparks right before I jumped up out of my chair, exploded a few feet in front of my face. And God protected me. And it was funny much, much later. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, it was an exciting time. But, but when we are celebrating this, we, we can't forget the fact that um, this whole idea of independence, that it is an age-old issue, that even in biblical times, when we go back to the time of Moses, that it was an issue of independence from uh, persecution of our faith. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. Psalms chapter 85. We're going to focus on the first 13 verses of this uh, text this morning. And the title of today's message is Hope in the Future from a Heritage of the Past. Hope in the future from a heritage of the past. On Father's Day 2016, just a, a, a short time ago, we were celebrating a heritage that fathers leave for their children. And we talked about in the Assemblies of God, while you know I, even though I grew up in it, I, I believe in the Assemblies of God, that's a good organization. There's lots of other good organizations that are uh, denominations that are out there spreading the gospel and that there's no one that has just a corner on the market. But the Assemblies has one of the greatest missions programs there is, and so we focused on the fact that there is a heritage laid from clear back in the early 1900s when ministers came together to, to forge a, a, a union of ministers, the Assemblies of God, to be able to bring the Word of God all around the world. But on July 4, 1776, King George III of England wrote about the day, that day in his diary. We know July 4, 1776. Guess what King George III wrote in his diary for that day? He wrote this. Nothing happened today. Now, isn't that an interesting commentary in his uh, diary? Nothing happened today. He couldn't have been further from the truth because in Philadelphia, the Congress adopted our Declaration of Independence. A big thumb, uh, thumb in our nose at England. And it begins with these words. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the laws of God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separate. In other words, if you come to a point in a group of people where, where they must split apart uh, for, for a good reason, then it's only um, proper that that reason is declared. And so it goes on to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the United States of America was born on that day, although King George III said nothing happened. Now, 240 years later, we, we are about to celebrate tomorrow the birth of our country once again, as we do every year. And our country is born on the hope of help 
from the one true God. You see, no matter what people try to do to rewrite history, there was a point in time in England when men sought of land, a place just like the children of Israel, where they could have freedom to worship God in spirit and truth. In our country, born on those principles, and when we look at Psalms 85, there's, several th- there's a couple things that really stand out about this passage. And one, the first one is, is uh, we need to remember God's rescues. We need to remember God's rescues. That again is age-old. When you read through the Old Testament, that is what the challenge was to the children of Israel once they were rescued. Write it on the back of your hands, on your forehead, or in this day and time, put a sticky note on the mirror, whatever, but every day remind yourself, teach it to your children what God has done. Because why? Because when you begin to forget God's rescues, you begin to get yourself back into bondage. Remember how God has helped us in the past. Remember how God has blessed us in the past. And that's why the psalmist did uh, what the psalmist did in verse 1 through 3, where he lifted up his praise to God. We need to be careful, church, as Americans, that we don't get so in the molly grubs, or whatever you want to call it, um, that, that every time it's mentioned about the state of our country, that we, we point out, firstly, that's no longer a nation after God. It's no longer this. Remind people, keep reminding them of the fact that God is the one that brought this nation together to give us a right to worship him free of persecution. But when we look through verses 1 through 3 of this, the psalmist, what the psalmist wrote, he, we, he lifted up his praise to God saying, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people, and you have covered all their sins, Selah. And then it says, you have taken away your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of, you've turned from the fierceness of your anger. And here, God brought back the captivity of Jacob, and, and God has rescued his people many times. And we have to, when we look at this, we have to think about the evidence of his rescue in the history of our nation. God has intervened on behalf of, of us time after time just as he has Israel one of those moments in 1776 the British Empire had the most powerful army in the world and here we were the the United States Americans the ragtag army of farmers and shop owners were going to stand up to that great army we were outmanned we were outgunned we were outfinanced Without God's intervention, the colonies had no chance of winning the war against England, but God did intervene. One example of that intervention was August 27th of 1776, just weeks after the Declaration of uh, of Independence was signed. Washington's army of 8,000 men were trapped by the East River near Brooklyn, New York. Nearly 20,000 British soldiers were positioned, 20,000 to 8,000. 20,000 British soldiers positioned to attack, only waiting for their fleet. Washington desperately needed to evacuate his men across the, the Mile Wide River, and so, uh, but their small boats could only hold a few men at a time, and, and Washington knew that when the sun came up, the boats would be sitting ducks for the British artillery. So how did God help them? Well, first, sudden rains and strong wind kept the British fleet from sailing. Then the sun came up on the, the, the fleeing Americans and unusual fog formed and visibility dropped down to only six yards. That fog stayed put until the very last boat carrying Washington himself 
set across the river. Then it suddenly lifted, and the British were stunned to see the empty shore, and they fired their guns at Washington's boat, but then it was too far out of range. You could call it luck, but there's no such thing as luck. Isn't it awesome, God's provision and his amazing hand on the formation of this nation? Don't you just think that just maybe he wanted the United States to become a place of freedom for men to worship him? And the men who were there in their, in their own journals wrote in their diaries that day that it was the hand of God that rescued them. There's no way this nation could have ever started without divine intervention. There, there's secondly, we could consider the battle of the American Revolution at Yorktown. Uh, the weather was good except during two vital periods. On the night Washington began digging approach trenches, the soldiers recorded this. They said, We are favored by a providence with a night of extreme darkness and by a gentle rain that muffled the sound of digging. Then near the end of the siege, British General Cornwallis attempted to break out by ferrying his best troops across York River at night. Halfway through the operation, the weather changed and um, a most violent storm and wind and rain came up and drove the barges down the river and left Cornwallis's forces divided and scattered. And that adverse turn of the weather completely disrupted the attempt, attempted breakout by Cornwallis, and they surrendered the next day. Now, it's one thing for us to say, well, we, we had great military moves. Well, we were just more strategic. Less men, but we were more strategic. We just knew what we were doing. But we can't control the weather, can we? And when God's hand kept moving on the weather for the United States, it is obvious that he was at our rescue. Tradition says that after the British sur surrendered, the, the defeated Redcoats departed from, the, uh, from there. And here's a song they were singing. This, this cracks me up. Here's a song the British re Redcoats were singing as they departed. It was called The World Turned Upside Down. And here's some of the words to that song. If ponies, rode men, if ponies rode men and grass ate cows, and cats were chased into holes by the mouse, if summer were spring and the other way around, then all the world would be upside down. You see, they just couldn't believe that they, them being a part of the greatest army in the world was getting their tails kicked by this ragtag band of farmers and, and, and merchants and, and those that were forming the United States. And it never could have happened without the remarkable help of an almighty God. The evidence is all around us. We're, we're a blessed people. God has blessed us beyond measure. I remember as a kid watching on the news when Israel would get attacked and how with just a, a, a small force, they'd have all this opposition coming against them, and yet Israel would always come out on top. And, and it'd be so obvious to the believers of what was happening, but yet the world would scratch our heads and say, I just, we just don't understand what's happening there. Everyone sitting in this room today, we're blessed. Blessed with the health to be here. Blessed with the freedom to be here. Blessed by the grace of God that brought you here. We're not here by accident. God, who orders the path of the stars, ordered our steps so that we'd be right here right now. And he wants to meet with us and bless us still. But first, we look at the evidence of God's rescue. And then we have to also pay attention to the encouragement, the encouragement that comes from his rescue. It's amazing how always at the last minute, just like the crossing of the Red Sea, God would bring the miraculous that would encourage his people to spur on. Just when you think you're, you're about to drown, just when you think that uh, all the, the end is coming, God steps in and brings the rescue. 
and the encouragement that comes from it. The writer of this psalm was going through a tough time, and what did he do? He looked back at the great things God had done for his people. You know, it's the same thing I, I do when I, I, I begin to look at troubles in my life, and it's the same thing you probably often do or should do. You know, I mentioned that I use this example a lot because it's the most recent big event in our life, but when we built our house, you know, I, I, start, I was sitting with Ken and some others at a, a New Beginnings event, um, some people's home, and they had this beautiful uh, add-on to their house outside that was all made out of cedar, and it was a little cook area, and it was next to their pool, and just a real beautiful setting, and, and very functional, and I was commenting, I said, boy, I just wish I had the stuff, I, you know, I'd love to do that for my house, and start dreaming, and then I started picking apart things about my house, I wish I'd done different, and I have to stop myself and think, you know what, so quickly I forget a few years ago in that little house in Bella Vista, 1,040 square feet, with three kids stacked one on top of the other in bunk beds in, the, in the, a little 10 by 11 room, how thankful we are that God helped us provide and helped provide a way for us to get into more space. And so just like with our jobs, when we begin to complain about our jobs or our boss or or certain circumstances in the relationship, we forget that God has come again and again for our rescue. And when we begin to forget what he's done to bring us to that point, then we begin to think that he can't do it again, that, that we doubt that he will do it again. Yet, given a little bit of time, God proves himself over and over and over. I want to take just a minute. I want you to stop, and if you have to close your eyes to do this, it's fine, but go back more than a year ago and think about the last big event where you were just stressed and felt like you were, something was about to go really wrong. Maybe in your family or job. Think about when, when you're praying and crying out to God, God, help me through this. Just take a minute and think about that. Now think about where you're at today. That you're sitting here in God's house. He's brought you to a place to worship Him, to be surrounded by people that love you, and no matter how that situation may have turned out, that God has brought you through. You're here breathing fresh air, living for him. It's the same thing young David did when he was about to face Goliath the giant. Starting in 1 Samuel 17.34, here's a little discourse from David, who's about to face the giant. He says, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a, a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and deliver the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will, never deli he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You know, <clears throat> We, we've been a little bit uh, stressed with this dog that we have, this German Shepherd puppy, and, and I, I've said all my woes to people about how we, we wanted this dog, we thought it was great, but it's high energy and high maintenance. It's not mean, doesn't have a mean streak, but it is just powerful dog, sometimes a little rough with our small kids. And we had a moment over the last couple of weeks where um, he, he pushed it too far, and I was pretty angry with the dog, and I had something well up inside of me, and I kind of relate to David. I thought, I will snap you in two. Those teeth don't scare me. I don't, your size, your power, I guarantee you, you come between me and my kids, and I will end you. And that's what I felt inside, deep inside. And the funny thing is, I laugh about it, but I was as certain as that as my next breath, that if it came between me and that dog, 
that dog was not coming out alive. And don't report me to PETA or whatever, you know, <laughs> to puppy child services, puppy services, whatever. I, I love dogs, but, but, but the idea here is this, is that sometimes we're battling giants in our life. We're battling things that in most circumstances would be fearsome, like David and a lion or a bear. But we have to remember the God we serve. Little David <laughs> telling King Saul, just put me in there. This guy don't stand a chance with my God on my side. But how often do we forget that the same God and David, David's relenting there, that, you know, this is the same guy who grows up and he, and he fails God again in his life after God has delivered him from the hand of the lion, from the bear, and from the hand of the Philistine giant. So we can find the hope we need by remembering God's rescues. We also need to cry out for God's compassion when we do that. And that's what the psalmist did starting in verse 4. Restore us, O God, our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And here the psalmist was crying out to God, basically saying, Oh God, you've been so good to us in the past, but we've, we've, if we've ever needed your help, uh, we need it today. Let me tell you something. Have you thought about this? We, we, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. We know we're in the end times, but we don't know what's going to happen. If he doesn't come back before this showdown in our country comes down, then why would we lose heart at the persecution for religious freedom going on now when this country was formed out of the very same situation. In, in other words, if God delivered his people into a promised land where they could worship him freely, he could do it again. Now, oh, careful, Pastor CJ, the, the men in black got the microphones listed on you. Listen, I'm not trying to talk like a revolutionist here. What I'm telling you is that even in the state, when you start looking at who you've got to vote for, what's coming around the corner in our nation, you need to, as believers, realize that your God is the one that rescues you. Not a politician, not a system of government, but your God, who is the same God who rescued David from the hand of the lion, the bear, and the giant Philistine. Verse 4 in the King James Version says, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. And all the problems we face in our nation today, the biggest problem of all is this. So many of our leaders and people have turned away from the God who gave birth to our nation. Judges 21-25 describes our nation to a T when it says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we need to passionately pray that God restore us, turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause your anger towards us to cease. We need to passionately pray like that for repentance and revival. We need to realize that even if, we, even if we feel like it's our nation and not us, we need to pray for our nation, that God will change it. President George Washington certainly prayed like that. He had a well-worn 24-page journal filled with prayers in his own handwriting. The very first entry was called Sunday Morning, and it reads as follows. Almighty God and most merciful Father, who didst command the children of Israel to offer a daily sacrifice to thee, that thereby they might glorify and praise thee for thy protection both night and day. I beseech thee my sins, remove them from thy presence, as far as from the east as from the west, and accept me for my merits of, 
for the merits of thy son Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Washington's saying, I understand that sin separates men from God. And I understand what you did for the children of Israel. So today, forgive me of my sins and let me stand on the grace and the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for me. Washington's Sunday evening prayer, basically, let me live according. This is what it was Sunday evening. So that was Sunday. And then Sunday evening, let me live according to those holy rules which thou hast this day prescribed in thy holy word. Direct me to the true object, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Bless, O Lord, all the people of this land. We need to pray like Washington prayed. In church, we can find hope, the hope we need by crying out for God's compassion. We also need to trust in God's truth. And what is the, his truth? It's his word. And that's what the psalmist did in verses 8 through 13 when he trusted in God's truth by saying, I hear what the Lord, what the God, the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let, let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is nearer to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from the heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. See, the psalmist trusted in the, in the Lord. The, great, the greatest men in our history trusted in the Lord. And we as a church must also trust in the Lord. I want to remind you that we can always trust God. And when we trust him, we're trusting in his truths that are already written in his word. And if we're reading his word, we're reminded constantly of those truths. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father and says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, make my followers pure and holy through your truth and through your word. Just to look at what some of our presidents thought about the Bible. George Washington said this, It is impossible to rightly govern the word, world without God and the Bible. Andrew Jackson said this, That book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to men. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through that book. And then Ronald Reagan said this, Within the covers of the Bible are all the answers of the problems men face. The Bible can touch hearts, order minds, and refresh souls. And then on Tuesday, January 30, 1953, President Dwight Eisenhower was sworn into office with his hand resting on two Bibles one of which was used by George Washington for his inauguration in 1789. And the second Bible that Eisenhower laid his hand on was the Bible given to uh, Eisenhower by his mother when he graduated from West Point. Both of those Bibles were open to Second Chronicles 7.14, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and heal their land. You see, there's a key ingredient in there that we have to be asking for forgiveness of our sins and turning away from them. Many of us, if our mode of dealing with godlessness in our nation as a believer is just to voice our discontent and our disapproval at godless ways, then, then we're not really following uh, our Lord in it. We're following our own way. We're saying it's my opinion that matters, 
not God's help. But when we, when we humble ourselves, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, turn from our evil ways, pray for our nation, call out for compassion to him, he'll hear our voice and he'll heal, heal our land. These American presidents trusted in God's truth and the Bible is God's truth. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's a couple things that we need to also look at here. Uh, there's some truths from this scripture that we need to look at. Number one is trust that Jesus will speak to you. Are we losing the desire to hear God's voice in our lives as believers? Are we looking to the church service and this sermon or other sermons to be our main guidepost for everything God wants to say to us? His word is what is, is your guidepost. And then when he speaks to you, his voice will line up with that word. But your job as a believer, your role in the relationship with God is to daily have time with him and his word and, and listening to him, speaking with him, having relationship with him. In the first part of verse 8, the psalmist said, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. God wants to speak to us. He wants to have conversation with us. Second thing I want to mention is... Um, Besides trusting he will speak to you, trust that he will stand by you. In verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that the glory may dwell in our land. God's salvation is near. He's not off in some distant uh, land. He's right here with us today. His Holy Spirit um, wants to live in our hearts and interact with us. The third thing, trust that Jesus will stand by you and also trust that Jesus will save you. You're saying, well, I'm already saved, Pastor CJ. Well, listen. The children of Israel had a relationship with God, but they kept getting themselves in trouble and kept having to ask for his rescue. And so salvation of your soul is one thing, but daily you need to go him, to him for your rescue because your heart will lead you astray. Your heart will lead you down the wrong path. Your sinful heart will get you in trouble, but if you look to him as your constant rescue, go to him every day, God, lead and guide me, then he will keep you from the hand of the fowler. Look at it again in verse 1 through 4. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. In verse 7, show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And then 9 and 10, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That, the, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The Lord wants to save us. He wants to continue to speak to us, us hear him, us be led by his spirit. Years ago, there was a news, uh, news media caught uh, a glimpse of something happening at the Vietnam Wall where a Vietnam vet was rubbing his hands over the names of, of soldiers he had fought with. And as they zoomed in, he had no idea they were watching, but they zoomed in, his hand came over one name, and he began to weep, and he broke. And he just kept repeating, he gave his life for me. He gave his life for me. You see, Jesus gave his life for us. And I fear sometimes because we get so used to being a Christian that we lose sight of the significance of that. That when, our, when his name comes across our lips or his name comes across to us in the word, does it still have that same impact that we realize the 
the weight of the price he paid for us. He gave his life for us that we may have freedom, that we may be independent of the snares of the enemy. And that's why mercy and truth can meet together in verse 10. The truth is that we're all sinners and we deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus took our punishment so that we could be forgiven and free forever. And then we read verse 11, truth shall spring out of the earth. When I read that verse, I think of the the third day when Jesus rose from the dead to give eternal life to all who would trust in him. Jesus died on the cross for us, but he's alive forevermore, and he is the hope of all who trust him. Just like when we were, we were, uh, you're listening to me talk about Washington, and they were in that moment where it looked like the enemy had them outnumbered, outgunned, outfinanced. When Jesus stood alone, being crucified on the cross for all of men's sins, and it looked as if he was defeated. But just like the United States rose victorious of a much larger, well-equipped army, Jesus rose again, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and provided a way of independence for all who will believe in him. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I pray that we would all reconnect again in our hearts the significance of the, the, the price you paid for our independence from the enemy. That God, today and, and tomorrow as we are focusing on celebrating the independence of the United States, Lord, that we don't uh, lose trust and lose faith in you that 1776, Lord, you provided a way for men to break free from religious persecution, come together, form a nation that became this great land. And Lord, once again, we're in peril with our government and with what's happening in this land. And Lord, the way that you rescue us, that's up to you. Lord, we have faith and believe no matter what comes our way, that you are our rescue. But Lord, now I speak to our doubting hearts. Lord, will we, will we step up and be like David, like little David who said, I defeated the paw of the lion, I defeated the paw of the bear, and now this giant that's in front of me, I will defeat it too, not by my power, but by the power of the God I serve. Lord, there's folks here today that uh, whether they want to admit it to anyone here, they're dealing with a giant in their life. There's something that has raised its head against them and their um, desire to follow you. Lord, they're battling it day in and day out, but but Lord, they're, they're getting disheartened. They're not looking to you for the rescue. If you're this morning and you're battling a giant in your life, you need the rescue of the Lord to come in and and to completely take control of the situation so you can see that giant defeated. Why don't you settle right now in your heart between you and God that you will return your faith and trust back to Him. You'll look to Him for your independence, for your freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I pray that if you're uh, able to stay with us, I'm going to just say another quick prayer to, to uh, bless the food. Um, probably another 20 minutes or less, we'd, we'll be ready to, to serve you. Uh, um, 
But I hope that we'll have a good time of fellowship. And as you're celebrating this 4th of July, just be reminded of God's word that, that we have a different independence to celebrate as well. That this can be just a reminder of the independence we have as children of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus, bless this food to our bodies and the fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for this, this building to be out of the, the rain and the weather to, to fellowship together and to break bread together. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.